I was talking to a pastor friend of mine um, the other day, and uh, we were talking about um, that one passage in Scripture that says there is no fear in love, but that perfect love casts out fear. And then we got to talking about how is it that with that passage, pastors for years and for centuries have used fear in many instances to evoke a response. You better give your life to Jesus Christ or you're going to burn in hell forever. And we use fear tactics. And, and, and I started to think, have I done that in the past? Have I used fear to, to motivate uh, my people into doing something? And I, I started thinking, and, and luckily I couldn't remember any. It's not to say I haven't. But, uh, but I, I found it strange that we so often, um, so many times we've used fear. To try and get a response, to try and get the response um, that we want um, from our church members. And then, I'm studying and preparing for this week's lesson, for this week's message. And I think to myself, man, it's going to be easy to use that fear tactic. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, but I can't. I can't. I, I can't use fear because there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. And so I started to think to myself, but, but how then do I take these warnings that Jesus Christ gives us? How do I present these warnings without causing you to be fear without causing you to fear about what's coming. Then I started to think about it, I guess, in a different perspective. You know, we need to keep um, South Texas in our prayers. Hurricane Ike was supposed to hit last night sometime, and I haven't um, read or I haven't heard uh, the damage or, or what's happened, but I'm sure that these families are going to be coming back to to. Um, devastating situations and, and we need to keep them in our prayers. But I, I got to thinking about the hurricane and all the warnings that went out before the hurricane hit, right? Evacuate, board up your homes, find higher ground, find a place of safety. And I thought to myself, these warnings go out and they may bring up feelings of fear in people. But then I thought to myself, but it doesn't have to have that effect. Because those people that receive this warning can actually look at these warnings as a blessing. They can look at it in a positive way and say, I've been fortunate enough to have heard the warning before the hurricane hit. And now I have the opportunity to do something about it. So I don't need to be fearful. I've been warned. I can do something about it. And that is what I want us to do here this morning. That is the perspective that I want us to take here this morning. I don't want us to leave this place fearful. I don't want us to leave in fear. But I want us to leave encouraged that we've been warned by a loving God. And that now we can do something about it. So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. 
I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, starting with verse 4. What does your heading say, by the way, at the top of chapter 24? The end of the age. Anything different? Signs of the end. Mine says Jesus predicts the destruction. Well, that can bring fear. But I don't want us to leave here with fear. I want us to leave this place encouraged, knowing that we are blessed people today. That we have received this warning, and now we can do something about it. Verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Verse 5. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And will deceive many. Verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Verse 24. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Are you catching a theme here of what's going to happen in the end of time? Obviously, Jesus talks about many things. But one of the things that he says will happen is that many will be deceived. That many will fall in deception. And so he warns us, do not be deceived. Now we could, yes, we could leave this place fearful, saying, oh my goodness, I'm afraid of the end of time. I'm afraid that I'm going to be deceived. But no, we can leave this place encouraged. We can leave this place knowing that we have been blessed, that we have been warned of these things. You know, Jesus isn't the only one that's warned us of this. In fact, Paul, throughout his writings to the churches, also warned the churches, beware of false doctrines entering the church. Beware of false Christ. Beware of false prophets. In fact, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're going to read one of those occasions. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter three, starting with verse 13. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 13. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul says that they will get worse, worse and worse. The closer we get to the end of time, the worse they're going to get. Deceiving many, and did you catch that they themselves are deceived? So it's not as though they're going about purposefully deceiving people. No, they themselves are deceived, which makes it very difficult at times to be able to differentiate truth from error. Because if you have a man who stands up and is speaking out of conviction and is convinced that what he is saying is true... And he's deceived and he doesn't know that he's deceived. 
right? It's the nature of being deceived is that you don't know that you're deceived. And they're deceiving many. Now see, the thing is, is that God warns us about this. God tells us that this is going to happen. But he doesn't just say, good luck. Hope you make it. See ya. Won't want to be ya. No. We don't serve that kind of a God. We serve a loving God who not only says, this is going to happen, but let me put in your hands the tools, the resources that you need to make sure that you will not be deceived. Let me put in your hands the the things that you need to make sure that you can differentiate between truth and error. Let me put in your hands what you need to make sure that you will make it and not be deceived. And so he says in verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you learned them. And that from childhood you have known, what does that say? The holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. They're able to make you wise unto salvation. And so he gives us his word. He gives us his word so that we can stand firm on his word, so that we can study his word, so that we can learn his word, so that we can live his word and not be deceived. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. He doesn't just warn us. No, he doesn't just say the hurricane is coming, the storm is coming. No, he teaches us and he shows us the evacuation route. He shows us and he teaches us exactly what we need in order to make it through the storm. And a large part of that comes through the word of God. Now, there are many spiritual disciplines out there. There are disciplines like, like fasting and prayer, solitude and, and worship. There are a lot of celebrations, spiritual celebrations out there, spiritual disciplines out there that help us not be deceived. But I will tell you that one of the primary ways that God ensures that we are not deceived is through his word, the word of God. Let me read it again in verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And two weeks ago, we read verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, For correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so he doesn't just warn us. He doesn't just say, good luck. He says, no. Let me give you the tools that you need. Let me give you the resources that you need to make sure that you will not be deceived. And so he gives us the word. He gives us his word 
which is able to make us wise unto salvation. He gives us his word. Friends, we need to live in God's word. We need to breathe God's word. We need to wake up in the morning to God's word. We need to go to bed in the evenings to God's word. We need to make this word a part of our lives. We need to live it day in and day out. We cannot afford to do otherwise. Jesus tells us that there are four types of people in the world. There are four types of people. No, not sanguine, melancholy, choleric, phlegmatic. No. He tells us that there are four types of people in the world. And I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, starting with verse 1. Matthew chapter 13, starting with verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground And yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, just imagine with me. Here he is on a boat in the water. And he's talking to the multitudes who are on the shore. And he starts to talk to them about seeds. And he goes and he tells them this story about this sower who goes out and is sowing seed. And some fall on the wayside. Some fall on stony ground. Some fall on on not deep soil. And some fall on good soil. Well, you can imagine this story somewhat coming out of the blue. Uh, What's he talking about here? So much so that even the disciples asked him, what do these parables mean? What? Jesus, what is it that you're talking about? And so, Jesus gives us the explanation to this parable. And most of us have read this already, and we know what the, what the parable represents. We know what the sower is, we know what the seed is. But let's just read it here for our benefit here this morning. Verse 18, Jesus gives the definition, the description of this parable. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. So Jesus says there's four types of people in the world. There is one 
that hears the word of God and does not understand it and does not make an attempt to understand it, but just pushes it aside and says, oh, those are just fairy tales or those are just um, nice stories that were told to the Jews back then or, or they choose not to understand it. And what does Jesus say will happen? The evil one will come and snatch it away. And then he goes on in verse 20. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For then, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. He says there are four types of people in the world. The second type receive it. And when they receive it, they go, whoa, that's cool. I like that. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that church or I want to buy into that. That sounds really neat to me. But you know what? They have no foundation in Christ. They, they have no solid foundation in God. They, they, haven't, they haven't really lived. They haven't really submersed themselves in the word. But it's a superficial thing. And without having that root in Christ or in God or in the word itself, when tribulations come, they fall, they wither away. And now we read in verse 22. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke The word and he becomes unfruitful. Jesus says there are four types of people in the world. And this third type receives the word. Yes, they receive it gladly. Yes, they make it a part of their lives. But then you know what happens? The deceitfulness of riches. The cares of the world. Choke them and it amounts to nothing. Keep your finger in Matthew 13 and turn with me to Mark 4. The parallel verse to this because Mark adds a little additional insight to this verse. Mark chapter 4 verse 18 Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Is he describing North America here? Is he describing possibly... The Christian church in North America. That we have received the word. But the cares of this world. Mike prayed about it. During our intercessory prayer. We're too busy. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. The pursuit 
of other things besides God or the things of God have choked the word in us and it has resulted in unfruitfulness. It has resulted and has not amounted to much. <laughs> Keep your finger in Matthew 13. Go to Luke. <laughs> Luke adds a little bit more to it. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 verse 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And bring no fruit to maturity. Could he be describing for us here today, the church, that we have received the word, and yet the cares of this world, the pursuit of riches, the pursuit of pleasure, has choked the word in our lives. And as a result, we are unfruitful. Turn back to Matthew 13. Because there is a four type. Thank God. Thank God there is a fourth type. Verse 23. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Who Indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. There is a fourth type that received the word of God. And now listen to this. They understand the word. And I know that there may be a lot of us here today who read the word and, and we feel as though we don't understand it. Let me take your minds back. Two weeks ago, there are two things that are vitally important for us to do whenever we approach the word of God. We need to approach the God and we need to approach the Bible with prayer. Remember, we need to approach the Bible with prayer because the same Holy Spirit who inspired the word is the same Holy Spirit who will give us understanding we need to approach the word of God in prayer. And remember the second thing is also started with a P. Patience. We need to approach it with patience. But here he says there is a fourth type. And, and, and this category, these people, when they receive the word, they receive it and they understand it. And then he says that this category, these people... Who indeed bears fruit and produces. When was the last time someone was baptized as a result of your direct influence? When was the last time that someone gave their life to Christ as a result of your personal contact with them? Because Jesus says that this fourth type, this fourth category, this fourth section, this fourth group receives the word, understands it, and produces fruit. 
is talking to the same, same uh, um, pastor friend of mine, and we were talking about, uh, um, you know, the dreams and the vision that we as pastors have for our churches. And, you know, one of the things, of course, is that we want to see people come into our church. We want to see, you know, I, I long to see people in this community come and understand the, the beautiful message of, of Jesus Christ and, and what that means for them and, and the truth and the freedom that that brings for them. And, and so we were talking about growth and, and he said to me, he said, you know what? It occurs to me that sheep make sheep. What? He says, yeah. He said, shepherds don't make sheep. Shepherds lead. Shepherds guide. The sheep make sheep. Wow, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And so often, it is our attitude that is the pastor's responsibility. It's his job to bring people into the church. It's his job to have Bible studies and to baptize. It's, it's his responsibility to make the church grow. And I'm reminded of what he said. Sheep make sheep. Shepherds lead. Shepherds guide. But here, Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Now, I'm saddened to say that as I look at at the church in North America. I just, I'm saddened to say that I feel that most fall in the third category. That we have received the word of God. But yet the pursuit of earthly things. The cares of this world. The pursuit of pleasure. Has choked the word in us. And we do not bear fruit. I have a statement here that I'd like to read to you. She wrote this over a hundred years ago. She says, it is a solemn statement that I make to the church. That not one in twenty whose names are registered upon the church books are prepared to close their earthly history. That was a hundred years ago. And she says, I have a solemn statement to make. That not one in twenty are prepared. Not too far off from what Jesus says in this parable. Not too far off from what he says. It is time that we start living in God's word. It is time that we make this top priority. But see, see, I need to remind you. That we do not leave this place in fear. 
We do not leave this place thinking, oh my, I need to start reading the Bible or else I'm going to be lost. No, we do not leave this place in fear. In fact, I'd like for you to turn with me in John, John, the book of John, John chapter 5. Have to turn here with me. You have to read this. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Starting with verse 38. John chapter 5 verse 38. But you do not have his word abiding in you. Because whom he sent you do not believe. And so he says to the scribes, he says to the Pharisees, you know, you're reading the word of God for all the wrong reasons. And in verse in verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Don't leave this place thinking, oh, my I'm scared. I need to read the word of God because because that's what's going to save me. Listen, reading the word of God, studying the word of God in of itself is not what's going to save you. What's going to save you is what the word testify testifies of, which is of Jesus Christ. And when you learn to search the scriptures... Because you long to know Jesus. That is what's going to secure your salvation. When you open this book because you know that in this book you're going to find Jesus. And you're going to find his plan for your life. When you open this book knowing that by doing so you are strengthening your relationship with Jesus. When you open this book with the attitude that says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of these things shall be added unto you. In other words, the problem here isn't deception. The problem here isn't even that we don't read his word or or make it a part of our lives. The real problem is that we don't know Jesus. And worse off, we don't care to know him. But when we, through the stirring of the Holy Spirit, cause us to want to enter into this covenant relationship with Jesus, and and within you there's a, a little fire that starts to flicker, and, and that little fire says, I want to know this Jesus. I want to know this Savior. I want to know about this God who loves me and died for me. And, and, and in that passion, you open the word of God to meet him. That is when this book will come alive. That is when this book will become real to you. That is when you will begin to start living out what this book says. And you will make it a part of your life. And being deceived falls by the wayside. Because you're in a covenant relationship with Jesus. That, that, that's kind of like the, 
cherry on top. That's the frosting on the cake. Because when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of these things shall be added unto you. As we leave this place today, please don't leave afraid. Don't leave saying, oh my, I, I need to study because, because I'm going to be lost or I'm going to be deceived. No, no. Leave this place knowing that the God who loves you, the God who died for you, has warned us that these things are going to take place. But we can leave this place encouraged. We can leave this place knowing that we have been blessed that we now can do something about it we now can do something about it and what is that it is saying jesus i want to walk with you jesus i want to talk with you jesus i want to discover you jesus i want to meet you in the pages of your holy word. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that testifies of you. That in these pages, we can meet you. We can spend time with you. Father, most of us are guilty of chasing earthly possessions of filling our lives with so much junk things that you say will rust and decay will not last God here today we are realizing the importance of putting you first of keeping you first of being in that relationship with you and so God, as that fire stirs up within us to want to know more about you and to spend more time with you, God, give us the courage and the strength to open this word, knowing that by doing so, we will know you and be in relationship with you. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.